Welcome to The Scrum, the politics and media podcast that emanates every other week from the GBH News World Headquarters in Brighton, Massachusetts. I'm Peter Katzis, and I'm standing in for Adam Riley, who is in Philadelphia reporting on the Democratic National Convention. This installment is a mini-scrum, seven minutes or so of political wisdom intended to hold you over until Adam and I get back into full swing. Several weeks ago, I interviewed Sean Wilentz, professor of history at Princeton, about the collision between what we read about in textbooks and what we see on cable TV and on the Internet. The result, of course, is called politics. Here are some outtakes from our talk. I asked Professor Wilentz to share his thoughts on a handful of local historic figures. His judgments follow. Tip O'Neill is um, a favorite son of Massachusetts. Yes, he is. And, you know, he famously popularized the old saw that all politics is local. You know, here in Boston, I think it's safe to say that all history is local. Uh-huh. So with that in mind, I'd like you to characterize um, – you know, three local politicians who made it to the White House. Okay. Let's start with John Quincy Adams. Yeah. An undeniably brilliant diplomat. Yes. Who was, who as president was probably even more reviled than Obama was. Um, well, yeah. I mean, Quincy Adams came to the presidency. It was very, the country was very sectionalized. He was very much the New England candidate. So everybody outside of New England didn't like him. Um, and he came to office with what was called supposedly a corrupt bargain. In fact, it didn't happen. So there was a taint of corruption around his presidency from the very beginning, f- inflamed, I might add, by, by Andrew Jackson and his friends who, who lost that election. But in many ways, Adams was out of touch with his own political um, um, universe. I mean, the country was growing much more democratic. He was a, a, a patrician of the old school and believed in, he didn't believe in political parties, um, didn't believe in the patronage that keeps parties together. He, he was, in a de- he was a he was a man of no party in a democratic partisan age. So he should, he couldn't benefit from your book. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, but however, I mean, he was also attacked very vociferously by the slaveholders that were beginning to become an interest, and they made you know made his life hell. I mean, they really did. Um, so it was an unsuccessful presidency. He got nothing of what he was. All of his grand designs were done. Um, however, you know, there is such a thing as the post-presidency. Yeah. And in Adams's case, um, not only did he become the great, um, the archenemy of slavery inside the Congress, but he also adapted to the, 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 to the democratic political strivings of the day. He got hooked up with a movement that, in retrospect, looks absolutely wacky, which was the anti-Masonic movement that was organized around the idea that the, the Masons were organizing a, a, a grand conspiracy against American liberty. He believed all of that, and he became a politician, but it got him involved in party politics in a way that he had never been before. He later was able to translate that into his anti-slavery politics in the late 1830s, early 1840s. And in some ways, I argue in the book, he, he, he laid the foundation for Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Let's move on to Calvin Coolidge. Ah. Uh, a, a president who, until Ronald Reagan, was considered a joke. Um, <laughs> and I, I take it that from the look on your face that you may still consider him a joke. But he was Reagan's self-described hero. Yes, he was. Yeah, well, you know, Calvin Coolidge was a man who came to presidency thinking that he should do nothing. Um, you know, when, when told of great difficulties in the economy, for example, he would 
taking the news and then go down to the basement of the White House and inspect a, a load of Vermont apples that had just been delivered to him. I mean, he really believed in the less power, the better. Um, and then he had, I mean, Coolidge is easily made fun of because he was silent Cal and he didn't say very much, although he, he actually did a lot to try and keep his image going. There's yeah. that picture of him with the, with, the, with the Indian bonnet on it. You know, it, it looks kind of absurd, but it was his effort. It's kind of like Michael Dukakis in the tank, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, like that. Um, 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 but, uh, do, you, do you know the Arthur Kroc story? No. Well, um, Arthur Kroc, the f- famous Washington bureau chief of the New York Times, goes into, he has a one-on-one interview with Calvin Coolidge, and Coolidge reaches into his bottom drawer, takes out a box of cigars, is lighting a cigar, and says, Mr. Croc, do you enjoy cigars? And he's, Mr. President, I do. He said, so do I, and he put cigars back. <laughs> he was an actor, and he was a very dead well, there was, guy. Wasn't there, wasn't there a story about him, maybe, this, maybe it's apocryphal, where someone said, President Coolidge, um, um, what was it, I can make you, I, I think I can make you... Um, uh, I get it. I get it wrong, but the, the the punchline is you lose because he was able to be so 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 laconic. Well, and finally, John Kennedy, an immensely interesting and attractive figure who, nevertheless, pretty much failed to enact major legislation. Well, he did in in his time in office. I mean, he got us through a lot of other things. So let's let's True. remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example. And the, the tax cut bill got started, and the civil rights bill got started under Kennedy. His speech in June 1963 was important. But Kennedy also, I mean, Kennedy is sometimes um, held up, particularly by um, certain kinds of well-thinking Democrats, as a man who transcended party, who was, you know, a, uh, a glorious figure who was not beholden to the political hacks of his age. Wrong. John F. Kennedy was a... a, a full-throated, full-blooded political partisan. He loved democratic politics. He loved how it ran. He loved how it worked. He gave a speech, in fact, one of the first speeches he gives in the 1960 campaign before he, um, um, before he was nominated was precisely to the point. And he says, you know, a president who is not also the head of his party is not only shortchanging his party, he's shortchanging democracy itself because he saw the party as having a vital function in American political life, both parties. And so, um, so John F. Kennedy, now, his failures, look, he, the Democratic Party was in the, uh, in the process of great transformation. The, the country, the nation, the world, but especially the, the country, was in the midst of a great transformation around civil rights. And the party was going to dissolve between, the party had been a kind of an admixture of northern liberals and southern segregationists. That was going to fall apart. Kennedy was in the middle of all that. And um, when Kennedy went, moved, even as you know, little as he did, some say, on civil rights, um, that was enough to alienate many in the South. Before he was killed, um, there, was, there, was, there was, you know, he, well, the fact that he was in Dallas, a lot of people were angry at Kennedy in the South. So, um, um, but look, if, 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 if John F. Kennedy had enjoyed the kind of um, victory over Barry Goldwater that LBJ did, well, then things would have been very, very different for him. He would have had the Congress on his side. He would have had a congressional vote. He would have had a liberal majority to get through the things that he wanted to get through. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Scrum. You can email us at scrum at wgbh.org or find us on Twitter at at Kadzis and at Riley Adam. As always, you can find back episodes online at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. 
And you can also find us on iTunes and on podcatchers like Stitcher and SoundCloud. Our producer is Jason Turetsky. Our engineer is John Parker. And I'm Peter Katzis. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.